Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. Well, if you would, please open with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 16. John 10, 1 to 16. Please bow your heads with me in prayer one last time. Father, we come before the throne of grace this morning in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. And we stand before you, Lord, trembling at your word, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would show us the character of Jesus, who he is as the good shepherd, And that, Lord, you would give us zeal in our lives for the gospel, Lord, zeal to make this gospel known to others, zeal to cherish it in our own lives, and not only for our own sakes, but for the sake of making it known, Lord. We pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to your word, that you would speak through me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at verses 1 to 6, and then we'll get started. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. While currently in the world in which we are living, it is evident that we are facing as humans a crisis of identity. We no longer know who we are, where we have come from, or what our purpose is in this life. And we are taught, especially through the media, that the meaning of life can be found in what we make out of it and in what we think is best for us in the unhindered pursuit of all our desires in the name of freedom. But where has this led us? Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The identity crisis that we are facing in our culture today is because we have turned away from the Lord and we have sought to find the meaning of life apart from Him and in the pursuit of self. We have given in to the lie that what is ultimate is our individual autonomous freedom in the way that we want to define it. But in this process, we have lost sight of who we are and we have gone astray. But the scandalous good news of the gospel this morning is that if we lose our lives, we will truly find it in Christ, in his character, and in his word, and in his presence with us. In our text this morning, the people of God, we are described as being his sheep. The Lord is our shepherd, and we are the sheep of his pasture. He owns this sheepfold to which we belong, where we find life, rest, and salvation. And our identity as his sheep comes not ultimately from who we are, but from our good shepherd, 
and our relationship to him and his covenant relationship to us through the gospel. This morning, Jesus's words remind us that true freedom, salvation, and life and joy come from living in submission to his authority as the good shepherd, from knowing his character and from trusting in him alone who brings abundant life and joy. Now, the Apostle John wrote his gospel so that we would know who Jesus Christ is, what his mission to this world was and is, who, who his character, uh, what his character is like. In John 20, verse 31, John writes this, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, <clears throat> and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so I want to look at the character of Christ in three headings this morning from John chapter 10, 1 to 16. Firstly, in verses 1 to 6, we see that the good shepherd protects. The good shepherd protects. In verses uh, 7 to 10, we see the good shepherd gives abundant life. The good shepherd gives abundant life. And then in verses 11 to 16, we see that this good shepherd gives his life or he lays down his life. Now, the context for John chapter 10 this morning is John chapter 9. If you will just uh, look over John chapter 9 with me there quickly, Jesus has graciously healed a man who was born blind. And he, he sent this man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And John tells us that the word Siloam actually means saint. The whole of John's gospel is filled with this theme of Jesus being saint. The father looked in pity upon lost and fallen sinners and sent his son to redeem them. And Jesus' healing of this blind man re represents him as the one sent from God, prophesied in the Old Testament. We get a little glimpse of this. in uh, we, we, we see this all over the Old Testament, but a little glimpse in Isaiah 35, 5 to 6. Isaiah prophesied, when the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So here is Jesus fulfilling these prophecies. And, and this man born blind, he not only had his physical sight restored, but he was also given faith to believe in Jesus, the greatest miracle that can be done. His true sight was restored to see God, to know God through Christ. In a short but powerful verse in John 9, 38, if you will glance there with me, which points also to the divinity of Jesus. This blind man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus receives this worship from this man who's, who he's just graciously encountered and healed. But now the Pharisees are, are, are some characters which we're going to see in our text this morning. They hardened their hearts towards the Lord Jesus. They created a works religion of their own and took advantage of the people of God for their own selfish gain. And we see this because they threw the blind man out of the synagogue and condemned Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, the very work that pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. And they were hardened and rejected Jesus because of their sin. But there's also another reason why they didn't accept Jesus. We see later on in John 10, Jesus says they were not of his flock. The blind man has left the fold of Israel for the flock of the good shepherd. He's coming into the new covenant people of God where he has true sight and true protection under Jesus. 
The story of God's mission in the world is his ingathering of a people for himself, from every tribe, nation, and tongue whom he has chosen and redeemed by the blood of Christ, to gather a bride for himself that he is making by his spirit spotless and blameless. Now the coming of Jesus prophesied throughout the Old Testament, uh, the coming of Jesus was prophesied throughout the Old Testament until finally he arrives here in John 10, born of a virgin, born under the law, born in Bethlehem at the right time to bring redemption to God's people. So when Jesus arrives on the scene here in John chapter 10, he has all of the right credentials. And that's what we see in John 10 verse 2, if you will look there with me. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus is the rightful shepherd, whereas the religious leaders of Jesus' day were thieves and robbers who were harming and taking advantage of God's people. Now, Jesus tells us this illustration in verses 1 to 6 to show us the characteristics of the thief versus the characteristics of the shepherd. The thief has no claim on the sheep and has to resort to sneaky ways to try and get in to this flock that Jesus is, is speaking of. In the first century, a sheep pen was usually open at the top with walls around it, or it could have also been bushes that was open at the top. And they always had one door, one entrance at the front that was guarded by a gatekeeper. So the fact that these thieves are climbing over the wall, as we see in our text, shows that they're coming to bring trouble. And they're bypassing the gatekeeper. The only way to truly get into this flock is to go through the gatekeeper, who perhaps could be God the Father in, in Jesus' illustration here. And so in verse 1, we see that the Pharisees, like wolves, have jumped over the walls and have bypassed the gatekeeper. For all their religious pretension, they are false shepherds. They are hirelings, and they are not qualified. They have not been commissioned and authorized by God the Father. If you will look down at verses 12 to 13, Jesus refers to these false shepherds as hired hands or hirelings. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And so that is the character of these false shepherds, of these Pharisees, which Jesus is speaking of here. They don't care at all for the sheep. They only care for themselves. They lack commitment and concern for the sheep because their real interests lie not in the sheep, but in, they, but in what they can get out of the sheep whether that was riches, prestige, self-improvement, fame. Jesus spoke a lot about the glory that comes from man for these false shepherds toward, uh, towards the Pharisees. But the true shepherd, Jesus, is not like that. What does Jesus say of the, good, of, of the true shepherd? Verses 3 to 5. He says, To him the gatekeeper, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. And so the good shepherd goes before the sheep to lead the way to protect the sheep. He protects and guards the sheep and puts his life on line for the sheep. Unlike the way we may think of sheep and shepherds today, there were no lush fields of grass stretching on for miles or a sheep herder chasing the sheep from behind, trying to get the sheep to obey them in the, in the first century. In Jesus' context, much of the land was dry mountainous, arid, where the, where the shepherds herded their sheep. In that context, the shepherd walks in front of the sheep because of the dangerous pathways around the mountains. 
The sheep know that the shepherd will lead them in the right path, and they trust him. And when all the sheep can see for miles is dry desert, the shepherd knows where the small streams of water and the patches of grass are for them to find rest and to be refreshed. And so the sheep listen to the shepherd. They trust him because of his character and his love for them. Now imagine you trained for many months to climb up Mount Everest, and you put all that you could into this training. You finally got to base camp. You arrived there, and it's the final day to, to summit the mountain. And you turn to your guide that's going to take you up, and you look to him to take you uh, through the, the crevices and along the sides of the mountains, and he looks to you and he says, well, this is my first time, so I hope we enjoy it together. You probably won't feel very safe. Well, Jesus in our lives is the one who goes before us, who has all wisdom and all might. He knows the way. And if we, his sheep, fall off the path from following him behind, from following behind him, he will go down the mountain, grab us up, put us back on the path of righteousness and lead us in the way. The good shepherd protects. He's been along the mountain. He knows the way. And so his defi the defining characteristic of this shepherd is his love and his protection for the sheep. The Lord's mission is that he has sent his son, Jesus, into this world, as, we, as I said earlier, to gather his chosen sheep, to give them new life, and to show them that their true identity is in relation to him and their dependence upon him. And so that is why it is so important for the church to have a strong expository ministry. When Christ's word is preached, his sheep hear, and they respond, and they grow, and they follow him. And so may we be in this coming year a people who run to the word, who read it, who meditate on it, who abide in it, who listen to it, who see the good shepherd in the words of scripture going before us, giving us wisdom to live in this life and lead us by his spirit in the way that is right. And may we also let the words of Christ destroy our spiritual pride and man-made traditions that we so easily fall into like the Pharisees did here. The, thing, the things that were holding the Pharisees back from seeing the beauty and the glory of the Redeemer. May the Lord deliver us from those things in our lives. As the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 3, 12 to 15. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as, as, long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Do you believe that the voice of this shepherd will lead you in the only way that is right and truly satisfying in the year to come? The only way that brings true and abundant life the now, the Pharisees did not understand this illustration Jesus was using because they were ironically those who were truly blind and man-centered. They were puffed up with knowledge and completely ignorant of God's character and his love, even though they claimed to be from God. In John chapter 9, they actually tell, they tell the man that was born blind and was healed, give glory to, to God, and then they call Jesus a sinner. So they claimed to be from God. And to follow God, yet call Jesus a sinner. And so that ought to show us that 
these false teachers, even though a lot of the time they claim to be from God, does not mean they are from God. And so we need to run to Jesus and his word to protect us. Now, secondly, the good shepherd brings abundant life. So now Jesus goes on in John 7 onwards to clearly explain the illustration he tells in verses 1 to 6. Uh, if you will look down there, Jesus himself is the door or the gate of the sheep. In case you didn't get it to the Pharisees, he is the way by which the sheep can come in and find rest and find true life. Now, with this third I am saying in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes an astounding statement. He not only shows us that he is the eternal son of God, identifying himself with Yahweh from the Old Testament, but that he is the sole and exclusive way to salvation, to life. Look with me at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Salvation and life are found in no other name but through Jesus Christ. Those who were saved before the cross in the old covenant, those who are saved after the cross are all saved through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. When I was studying uh, theology in South Africa, my undergraduate at Stellenbosch University, I thought I would take an elective class that was interesting to me called Anglican Church History. I tried to avoid some of the other uh, classes. So the, the professor was a visiting professor and also an Anglican priest who studied in the, in the U.S. He came back to South Africa, and he was telling us a story one day of his time in the U.S., he started to speak how wonderful it, about how wonderful it was that the church which he visited stripped its auditorium of pews and replaced it with carpets so that Muslims from the area could come and worship God with him. While he started to notice the concern on my face on the, and, and the face of my friend next to me, and he leaned over to ask us what the problem was. And we responded that it was not possible to worship the same God together since Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. He paused for a moment and leaned further in uh, towards us as we were sitting on our desks, desks, and he said to us, do you really believe that? Brothers and sisters, we must reckon with this question, which is very quickly becoming more and more pertinent in the church today. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4 verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must hold fast as a church to the sole exclusivity of Christ for the way of salvation. And it is amazing how quickly we can be tempted to compromise on this in our own lives and as a church. He doesn't need our gimmicks or our wisdom. He is simply seeking for those who will be faithful to the gospel and bear witness to him, even when it is costly. And he is seeking for pastors who will feed his sheep with the food of his word. And so if you walk through this door, through Jesus today, this coming year, day by day, you will find rest, salvation, forgiveness. You will find pasture. You will find that your true identity is not wrapped up in the world or in yourself, but in the good shepherd and in his saving grace and in what his word says about you. Look with me at verse 10.
The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. Jesus now points us back to the demonic activity of the false religious leaders. They were killing, stealing and destroying. They were wringing the life out of God's people and bringing them into bondage with a false religion. And ultimately, they were leading them to hell. Now, Satan was ultimately behind the destruction of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. In John 8, Jesus uses the, 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 uh, the, the, the very cutting language to the Pharisees and tells them, you are of your father, the devil. They thought their identity was sheep, God's people, when actually they had rejected God's rule and reign over their, selves and re- uh, over their lives and replaced it with themselves. And in the same way, it is Satan who is behind much of the cultural destruction we see today and much of the confusion we see in the church. He has come to steal, to steal holiness, innocence, true life, joy, love, and peace. He has come to kill, to reap divisions, instigate people to sin, lead them away from the hope found in Jesus. He has come to destroy, to poison the church with false doctrine, to lead young people astray and into destructive lifestyles that eventually lead to their ruin and hardening against Christianity. And we've seen much of that. The ultimate thief Satan is using also false pastors and false shepherds to continue his mission to kill, steal, and destroy, to blind people from seeing true and abundant life in Jesus. They promise people prosperity, but only offer disappointment. They proclaim peace, peace, where there is no peace and where many are on their way to an eternity in hell without a true knowledge of the gospel. They tell us to trade our citizenship in heaven for a humanistic doctrine of an earthly utopia. And they tell us that it it is okay to find our identity in our sinful desires instead of in the good shepherd who came to free us from those very desires. And so all of these things are are, are false uh, knockoffs of the gospel and proclaim freedom, but actually lead people into bondage and into slavery. And ultimately, they trade the unsearchable and ineffable riches of Christ and his gospel for man-made, man-centered versions of Christianity. Hear what the Lord says in Jeremiah 23, 1 to 4. To shepherds such as these. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So the bad news is that Satan has taken these false shepherds and they've jumped over the the wall into the flock and are leading people astray. But the good news is that the Lord promised that in, even in the old covenant, in the new covenant, there will be, he will gather his remnant in and there will be shepherds that he will set over his people who will care for them and his people will not fear. And so the Lord by his spirit is raising up pastors that will bind up the brokenhearted, that will heal the ailments 
of the sheep and of Jesus's flock who will use their authority in a benevolent and caring way. And this is good news for the church as we seek to stand on the gospel. And so what can we learn from this? It is the responsibility of the local church to train up and send out qualified pastors and missionaries. And this can only happen when we have faithful under shepherds who are helping to guard the gate, teaching and exhorting the flock to use the keys of the kingdom given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If you look at Jeremiah 23, one, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 23 verse 4, the Lord says there that, uh, they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. That's a beautiful picture of the church where we are a regenerate community of believers covenanted uh, with one another under the gospel, with pastors preaching and feeding us with the word of God. And so when we let go of these things, uh, we, we allow the church to become susceptible to thieves and to robbers, as we can see from the state of the church today. Now, our heart for our local churches should be that there would be havens where the flock of Christ would drink from the fountain of living waters through his word by his spirit, that there would be outposts, as Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 10, displaying Christ's glory and all sufficient worth to a world he seeks to save, and that the under shepherds we appoint would care for the church with the love of Christ. So Christ has come that we may have life and have it abundantly, more than anything this world has to offer. What a beautiful verse, John 10, verse 10 is for us this coming year. As Satan seeks to distract us with the things of this world, uh, with the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, we can come back to this verse and say, no, Jesus is my all-satisfying worth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can point our family members and friends to this Jesus who has changed us, the one who gives eternal life, joy, and glory forevermore in the presence of God, but also present enjoyment of that life now through the gospel, which is very important in the gospel of John. This abundant life is experienced now, even amidst a world that seeks to uh, distract us with so many things. So what a good shepherd we have. What abundant life we have. Won't you run to him this morning? Run to his word. Run to Jesus and ask him to satisfy and fill your soul by his spirit. He will do that. Our, our final point. This good shepherd gives his life. That is the character of this servant shepherd that we serve Jesus now points to his goodness as the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep intimately, and through his death, he is bringing in other sheep into this flock. Now, this good shepherd, Jesus, has come not only to save us from outside threats, but to save us, as we heard earlier this morning, from our very selves, from our rebellion, our sin, our bondage, our rejection of the living God. In laying down his life, he displays his ultimate love and grace by saving us from eternal condemnation, by saving us from walking into the slaughterhouse of God's wrath. In Acts 20, 28, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Brother, sister, the death of Jesus purchased you and brought you into union with him. 
what a glorious thing it is to be a Christian. We, we don't just morally reform ourselves, but we've been brought into vital living relationship and union with the Lord Jesus Christ. On that cross, when he laid down his life, he actually bore all of your sins and gave you new life when he was risen from the dead, if you trust in him. And he is now your ever-present Lord at the right hand of the Father, with your name graven on his heart. He will never leave you nor forsake you, even when you go through trials. He will pray for you. He will defend you. He will bear you up as you go through life and trust in him. He is the true and the good shepherd. Now this word good here in John 10 really refers to Jesus, not just as being good, but as someone who's noble or excellent or worthy. He is set apart from everyone else and cut from a different cloth. And of course, that's what we would expect of the God man, Jesus Christ. It points to him as our benevolent ruler, leading the way, protecting us and caring for us. And this good shepherd is strong and able to defend us and to ward off thieves and wolves. Many times we go through trials in our life where we think that we're, we're going to fall away. We can't hold on any longer. Our faith is weak. But in this coming year, as you look to Jesus, look to this part of his character, that he is the shepherd and the shepherd will never forsake or leave his sheep. And now Jesus saves his flock by doing the very thing that might expose them, as we just saw. He dies not to save us from outside threats, but from our very selves, from our depravity. The world believes that all of our threats are external, and that's not completely untrue. That's partially true, but it's not fully true, right? They, they therefore say all of our solutions must therefore address these external threats. And that is a further part of why the church is in the state it is today. Just focus on politics, just focus on social issues, just focus on economics. But again, where has that led us? We have moved away from what the Puritan John Owen would have called the death of death in the death of Christ and are preaching humanistic, moralistic, and man-made ideologies and solutions. But what did Owen mean when he said the death of death in the death of Christ? Well, he was echoing the words of Jesus here in John 10, where Jesus' death actually accomplished the salvation of his elect people, the abolishment of death forever, and the eternal security of all of those who would place their faith in him. Jesus took on human flesh as the eternal God. He lived the perfect life and fully obeyed God's law on our behalf. And when he died on the cross, he took all of our sins, past, present, and future, and the wrath of God, which was due those sins. And when he rose again on the third day, he brought about our justification and our right standing before God and removes our guilt and gives us freedom in his name. And he, he not only does that, but imputes his very righteousness and credits it to our account and gives us a perfect robe, a spotless white robe of righteousness, so that when we come day by day before the Father, we stand based on Jesus's merit and on nothing that is inside of ourselves. And he gives us a kingdom that cannot be shaken and a hope that is everlasting and never ending. The problems of this world remain the same as we go into 2024, but God's glorious gospel ever changes our lives in the present and will continue to change others' lives as we speak of it to them. Now in verse 15, we see 
Jesus says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so Jesus has an intimate relationship with us, his sheep, and he compares this to the very relationship he has with the Father. His death has brought about our union with him. So as the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves us. And as Jesus loves the Father, that same love is between us and God through the gospel. And the salvation which the good shepherd gives us lacks nothing. My friend, do you know the intimate loving grace of the good shepherd? Do you live in a place of knowing and resting in who Jesus is, not only as the good shepherd, but as your good shepherd? Have you felt him leading you in and out through the gate, feeding you with good pastures and satisfying your soul? Can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is the best shepherd. He knows our ails, our diseases, our infirmities, our problems, and is infinitely wise and skillful to deal with those needs as we go to him and as we go into a new year. If the distractions, anxieties, and cares of this world have clouded your vision of the good shepherd and of his grace and of his goodness, today his voice calls you to rest in him, to look to him, and to see his character for you as the good shepherd. In John 6, verse 37, even earlier on, Jesus says that everyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. I will by no means cast out. Turn and run to this good shepherd who will defend you and fill you with every good thing. This shepherd is good, good, good. Nothing and no one else comes close to the character and power of this shepherd to care for his sheep. He will never forsake you or abandon you. He will watch over you through the most difficult circumstances of life. And his eye will always be upon you to lead you in the way that is good and that is right. His worth is all satisfying and never ending and overflowing. His goodness is sweet and will follow you all the days of your life as you look to him. Here is the fountain of living waters, which will bring you eternal life and joy and peace. Why would we look anywhere else or to anyone else in this world? And when you have turned to him and tasted his goodness, call those who are around you and trying to find their identity in the things of this world to repent and see that there is a good shepherd who offers them true joy and eternal life that this world cannot. And that's what we will just briefly look at in verse 16. So the wolf snatches and scatters the sheep, but Jesus' death is bringing in many sheep that are scattered abroad. The flock that Jesus died for is not limited to the nation of Israel, but includes people from every nation under the sun, whether it's the far reaches of the Himalayas, the slums of Delhi in India, the furthest depths of the Amazonian jungle, the busy streets in Thailand, the townships in South Africa, or your very neighborhood here in Ohio. The Lord Jesus has his blood-bought sheep that still need to come into his flock. And when we take the gospel to them, they will hear the gospel. They will respond to the shepherd's voice. Why? Not ultimately because of our abilities or capabilities to perfectly articulate the gospel at every point. And we should try get get the gospel right and grow in that. But because Jesus said that he laid down his life for the sheep. And in laying down his life for the sheep and in rising again for them from the dead, he secures their redemption. There is not one sheep over which Christ does not cry, mine. 
There is not one of his sheep that will go missing or be lost. They are beloved of Christ, chosen by him and awaiting the call of the gospel. In Romans 10, 14 to 15, we read, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so we can go out in this new year with the gospel that's been entrusted and, and, and given to us as a stewardship with great confidence And we must go because it is through us, you and me, the church, that Jesus brings his saving message to people that they may respond. And so two things I just want to point out about verse 16 and actually John 10 as a whole is firstly, it gives us great assurance of our own salvation in Christ because of his character, because of his love for us. We have great assurance. And secondly, this text gives us a solid foundation for reaching the lost for Christ. We know that it is not by our own power power or efforts or strength, but by dependence upon Jesus as we share his name with others, that they may respond and come to him. But we ought to try our best because Jesus uses the means, you and me, of getting into people's lives and the authority that he has given to us as the church to bring people in. And so a final question I want to ask this morning is, where has Jesus, the one who was sent for us and our salvation, sent you. What are the spheres of influence he has placed you in to make his name known? May he give you strength and lead you by his spirit to speak of his name, to ask good questions, to get into people's lives, to rustle their feathers, and to to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ and his glorious grace this year. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep, in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And the same one who sends us out to testify about him also says in Matthew 28, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this perfect and wonderful gospel that you've given us through Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, uh, I feel my own slothfulness and uh, heart, Lord, this morning that needs to be empowered by your spirit to tell of this good news this year, Lord. And I pray for each and every single one of us, Lord, that you would help us to see the wonder and miraculous glory of the gospel, what your spirit has done in our lives, and that we may be given words and boldness to share that with others, Lord. Please be with us as we go out. Please protect us and please help us, Lord, this year to run to you when we are are troubled, to run to you when we are struggling, to run to you when we need to make decisions. Lord, help us to, to know you and to love you as our good shepherd this year. Go before us, we pray. Lord, bless this church. May your spirit be upon this church and the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.